This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Ballot Box with me, Dashran Johan. SOSMA, or the Security Offences Special Measures Act, is a law that was enacted after ISA was abolished in 2012. The law provides authorities with enhanced investigative powers and allows for extended pre-trial detention all in the name of national security. So over the years, the law has faced criticisms for its human rights abuses. Recently, Siti Nuriza Momatazali, who's an independent researcher, she wrote a paper on the socio-economic impact of detention under SOSMA, which is what we're going to be discussing on the show today. So joining me on the show is Siti Nuriza herself and Seven Dore Sami. He's the executive director at Swaram. Isa Seven, welcome to the show. Isa, I want to start with you, right? Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to do this research and produce this report? Thank you, Dashan. I'm Isa. I'm an independent researcher for the socioeconomic uh, impact of SOSMA detention in Malaysia. Um, I think what 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 interests me in this research is also like my background because I think I spent like seven years working in uh, different non-governmental organizations and being part of activism in my student time, which I think I also had developed a deep interest in human rights and also social justice issues. And what inspired me to embark on this research, I think uh, SOSMA is not something new. We heard a lot about it by our politicians, policymakers, and also CSO. But when I heard that the report will be on the socio-economic report, it definitely sparked my interest. So I don't think twice. Right. And also, I think like one of the things that, that inspired me that after the interview is that this interview actually dig deeper on the pain and the struggle of the uh, detainees and also their family. And I felt that these are the stories that need to be told to the public. Yep. Right. So, Seven, um, before we dive deeper into the socioeconomic um, impact of SOSMA on the detainees and their family, could you give us a background? What is SOSMA and how did it come to be? Okay, SOSMA, as you said earlier, Security Offences Special Measures Act, it was introduced in 2012. Um, this is after the government designed and abolished Internal Security Act, ISA. Um, ISA was um, referred as a draconian law because uh, not only because of the nature of that law, which allowed the police to arrest someone and keep them for 60 days under police remand, which means during that those days, uh, there is no court intervention or intervention in any ways. So the police can use their, those 60 days um, in the name of uh, investigation, but most of the time they interrogate and we have recorded uh, um, uh, a lot of uh, torture practices during those interrogation and all that. And it also was uh, unpopular uh, for the later years uh, after the campaign from Swaram and many uh, human rights group uh, with the banner uh, Gerakan Mansukan ISA. So during the time Najib, uh, Najib Turraza was the Prime Minister and uh, if you recall in 2008 uh, there was a lot of voices against um, the government and dissatisfaction, um, the usage of draconian law. 
in and then in 2008 election they lost two important states Selangor and uh, Penang so after that um, the Najib's uh, popularity going down so he decided to have some reform and one of the promises was uh, to abolish ISA in and then in 2009, there was a huge protest in the street of Kuala Lumpur, Gerakan uh, Mansukan ISA. And then uh, just before the 2013 election, 2012, he abolished ISA. Uh, but then within the police force and within the government, uh, there are a lot of uh, dissatisfaction because they are too comfortable with using this uh, 60 days uh, remand, uh, extract information and, and confess or forced to confess. And then... I don't have to bring them to the court, I send them to detention center after the 60 days, two years or and so on. Uh, so this was abolished and we know throughout our history, uh, so many misuse of this law uh, used again and again against political dissenters, human rights defenders and uh, many lawyers and academicians and so on and so forth. Uh, after 2012, uh, they introduced SOSMA. Now, uh, to our worry, and we raise this issue uh, of any security law, we are not against any security law, but what is important here is uh, the security law must comply with international standard. Uh, at least uh, there need to be a court process, due uh, process in terms of introducing any security law. When SOSMA was introduced, uh, they had this 28 days of remand, which is also against the usual practice and against the international standard, uh, usually because if you use penal code and uh, charge under CPC, um, uh, investigate and uh, use the procedure CPC, uh, after 24 hours of uh, errors, you need to bring them to the court and then court will decide how many remand days, three or four and maximum of seven and for serious crimes, uh, uh, 14. Uh, so this usual practice here, so smart, 28 days is given to the police and and for our worry, uh, the cases that we receive, there is a uh, same kind of a practice, especially uh, forced to confess, torture and all this. So those 28 days plus under the SOSMA procedure, uh, those who are detained uh, without determining they are, they, are, they are guilty or not guilty, uh, they can't be bailed out. So which means SOSMA is a procedure can keep them but when the police wanted to charge them, they have to use back the penal code. So you already have all the laws under the penal code. So it's just a procedure for the police to have an extra power to keep someone 28 days and keep them further until the case uh, court process uh, expires or the decision made uh, in the court. So until then, the, the bail is denied. And there are other areas uh, under the SOSMA procedures, which there is... Um, uh, witnesses that we wouldn't know who, and uh, so many other areas. And although the government at that point of time promised it won't be used against political dissenters, but we have a uh, few cases that they have misused uh, in the name of SOSMA. But as uh, and 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 also there are cases um, uh, that people confess because uh, the nature of the SOSMA itself. So you can't be bailed out. So until unknown years you're going to spend inside so rather than there was a bargaining going on probably if i admit i probably can come out in the five or six years rather than waiting for the cases and the other part is also uh, until the last process of the judicial process they can still appeal if any of the court for example the magistrate or the high court decide uh, this particular suspect is guilt not guilty and released the government can uh, appeal 
and until then they will still uh, spend their life in prison. Seven, I want to clarify something, right? Because um, SOSMA is seen as a sort of softer version of the ISA. It's still draconian. Um, it still needs to be abolished, but it's seen as a softer version of the ISA, right? So the ISA is they can just um, detain you without trial infinitely, um, right? That's my understanding of it. SOSMA, there is that 28-day clause, but from... My understanding, there is also people who are in SOSMA. Because of SOSMA, they are in um, jail for, for many, many months, one year, two years or, or longer. How does that happen? Um, that's right. It's supposed to be a softer version, but because of this non-bailable, it's became um, even serious compared to ISA. Right. For our surprise, uh, some of the detainees that we spoke to, uh, ex-detainees, they kind of like, uh, coming to a conclusion because of the years they went through under SOSMA, uh, they, 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 they are saying that I say much, much better for our surprise. Right. It, that's because after 60 days, two years, and then most, most in most of the cases, after two years, they will be released. Here, they've been keeping or they've been uh, going through the court, uh, the prison uh until the whole case is over it can be more than five years can be eight years in some cases seven eight years so that's that's what and that's why they're coming to the conclusion that isa a bit better but here this is the tricky point isa is also a draconian law it's also detention without trial in sosma they call it softer because they have the court process isa don't have court process here they have a court process but they're using that process to further punish them rather than uh properly investigate and then charge them and giving bail so since um you know um sosma was enacted how many people have been detained under sosma uh Okay, that's another area where we find it difficult to gather data and statistics. Uh, sometimes it reported in the media that we collect. Uh, in most of the cases, we have to write through the parliamentarian, member of parliament. Uh, through them, they post a question in the parliament and then the home minister will uh, answer. So based on that uh, statistic, uh, we have recorded more than 1,700 uh, cases. Uh, probably uh, now it's 2023, uh, it's more than 2,000 cases. Uh, and Home Minister is also um, not giving annual statistic on this, which is also we are uh, recommending and also uh, pushing the government to release uh, at least yearly statistic. We have a national statistic, right, for many things, but uh, here in the number of uh, detainees under SOSMA, POCA, POTA, and many other laws, uh, and also those who are died in custody, and all this, we don't get statistic unless you post a question at parliament. Or sometimes uh, reporters on behalf of Swaram, they post a question, uh, and then you will be lucky if you get the answers. Right. So, Isa, um, now that we've um, seven has really sort of um, painted a picture of what exactly SOSMA is, um, let's dive into the study that you recently did, right? The paper that you wrote. Could you provide an overview of the main findings and key insights from your research? Before that, I just want to just head up that this research is also based on qualitative approach. So, we actually did a semi-structured in-depth interview to explore like different themes during the during the interview with the respondents. So I think the most significant impact observed by this report is actually the loss of income due to the detention. And it's, it doesn't stop there because it's actually a chain, you know, because most of them 
who are being impacted by this detention is coming from the B40 income group. So what happened, they lost their job uh, and then they it, it resulted on the financial strain and also they had to uh, sold their assets and sometimes they some sometimes they had to sell their livestock for people who live in the uh not in the urban area in the rural area and most of them had to sell their cars uh land houses and farm and even like found their goods to 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 the extent some of their incurred debt is until twenty k until today. And the second, the second is that the research also revealed that the serious impact of the, the detention is also related to the cost of visiting and also legal fees, uh, which actually in the report we found out that the cost of visiting could also reach uh, approximately one thousand ringgit per month, and also like the cost to seek justice is, is actually between range between ten k to one hundred fifty k. So this actually also this also this also means that uh, the access to justice is very hard for this uh, B40 group and also it's not for everyone. Lah. And the third theme that we discover is actually uh, the children and their education of the uh, children of the detainees uh, also suffered due to the SOSMA detention. Right. And the last is the detention is uh, definitely... Uh, deeply impacted the detainees and the family social life lah. This is based on the stigma that they have, and also uh the psychological effect lah after they had been released, and also during that time is during uh, and also for their families lah. Right, um, Isa, you mentioned B forty a couple of times. Could you expand on that a little bit more? The demographics of um, you know, um, those that are impacted the most by SOSMA, because sometimes there is this assumption, um, or perhaps the reason why a lot of people don't really care or pay attention to um, you know, the activists um, screaming for the abolition of SOSMA is because they're like, oh, these are all just the hardcore criminals, they are the drug kingpins, they are the top gangsters in the country, so on and so forth. Why, why are we making so much of noise for, for these um, things and, and so on and so forth? Um, but is that true? Um, uh, is the people in SOSMA the top gangsters, the top kingpins, the top terrorists? Um, could you shed some light on who... Um, when it comes to demographics, it's impacted the most by SOSMA. All right. So maybe like a, a few uh, of the prof- socioeconomic profile of the detainees. So when I said like they are coming from B40 because most of them are not working mm-hmm. and some of them are working in a uh, livestock. They jaga, they are mm-hmm. peternakan dekat kampung and also some of them are penjawat awam and also pekerja swasta lah. And many of them uh, bekerja sendiri. Then when we ask them uh, macam mana dapat income dan sebagainya, these are part of their response. And other, and other socio-economic profile is that uh, most of them are coming from a very, uh, I would say, a, a decent educational background. All of them had completed their secondary schools and most actually had jobs and actively contributed to their families before the detention happened. And from this research, I also discovered that most of the detainees uh, that we interviewed actually had a dependent between 1% to 10% in their family. 
So they are the breadwinner of the family. Right. Could you share some real life stories? Because you did a lot of interviews, you spoke to a lot of people, and there are plenty of heartbreaking um, stories and anecdotes that I read um, in your report. Could you share some of those stories um, that illustrate the adverse effects of SOSMA on detainees and their families? I think one of the respondents, he was a civil servant before. Mm-hmm. He shared that the impact of being detained under SOSMA has caused him to be fired from his job. And this impact also felt until this day after he had been released, which actually he needs to survive in this gig economy. So what he shared is that, if I quote here, uh, paling perik sepanjang pemenjaraan ini, saya banyak kehilangan, saya dipecat sampai sekarang nak mencari pekerjaan pun susah. And maybe another one that there is also like one respondent that I met, the first interview that I did, uh, she's a wife and also a mother. Um, she shared with me how the detention of her husband had impacted her daughter and I think like the words are still stuck inside my head until today. And what she said, uh, what she shared is that saya minta suami saya hantar voice note supaya anak saya boleh mendengar suara ayahnya. Hmm. Anak saya tidak pergi sekolah dan anak saya masuk ke ward selama seminggu kerana rindu ayahnya. Dalam 3-4 bulan, dia akan tidur dengan baju suami saya. Sampai hari ini, dia belum mencuci pin suami saya. Dia letak di sisi bantal kerana dia tidur bersama ayahnya. Memang dia sangat sedih sampai tidak mahu makan, sakit, masuk ward selama seminggu. Um, this this respondent also actually uh, shared that why her daughter did not want to go to school is because they, the children also face the stigma from their peers. Just like a quote that uh, she said, what are, what are the peers saying to her daughter is that uh, mereka berkata, ayah kamu jahat bukan? Ayah kamu pun jenayah? Jadi kami tidak mahu kawan dengan kamu. So this is like the the real life stories that have been quoted in the report. Alright, let's go for a quick break. On the show with me today is Siti Noreza Mohamad-Tazali, independent researcher who wrote the paper on the socio-economic impact of detention under SOSMA, as well as Sevendori Sami, executive director at Swaram. We'll be back after these messages on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashrin Johan. And on the show with me today is Siti Nuriza Momatazali, independent researcher who wrote a paper on the socio-economic impact of detention under SOSMA, as well as Seven Doris Ami. He's the executive director of Swaram. Seven, I want to get your thoughts on this as well, because you've been um, in this field of human rights um, for a couple of decades now. Could you share some examples of what you've encountered, seen or heard um, in your years? Um, especially, you know, first it was ISA and then now it's SOSMA. Um, because I think the impression that a lot of people have, and this is based on the narratives by the government, right? That these laws exist to protect the security of the country. Um, which you, like yourself, you said earlier, right? Um, security is important. But a lot of people think that SOSMA, um, previously ISA, um, the people that are detained are really the the worst of the worst criminals um, in the country. What is the reality? 
That's a good question, uh, Dashran. Okay, um, it's basically about perception, right? And uh, how uh, the government use its propaganda and propagate those laws and uh, get people to believe that in most of the case. So if you go back to ISA, that's what the propaganda was. ISA uh, will be used against uh, terrorists in when ISA was introduced in 1960. At that point of time, uh, the justification was uh, it's a security law meant to use against uh, at that point of time as a commun communist insurgency. But we know throughout the years how it's been misused again and again. And, uh, and, and after you expose some of the misuses, then only people slowly uh, start to believe. Uh, and But for ISA, throughout the history, it has that a political uh, notion or political uh, weightage I would call political weightage, so that it's easy uh, to to the political opponent to build a counter narrative against ISA because people can see uh, in sixties uh, many uh, uh, politicians uh, from the Labour Party and also People's Party under the banner of a Socialist Front who started to win uh, many local council elections and some became mayor. So this, they became very popular. The government used the confrontasi as a, as, a, as, a, as a reason and arrested many of them under ISA. So they are not terrorists, they are politicians. So, so from then, um, people start to question the usage of ISA. In 70s, they used against students and current Prime Minister PMX was one of the victims where the government at that point of time used ISA again. So he's not a terrorist, but they used the security law to arrest him, uh, 70s and uh, 74. And 80s, Mahathe, uh, when he was the fourth prime minister under Oprasi Lalang, he arrested 100 old people. And most of them are academician lawyers, uh, members from civil society, or a political opponent. And some of them, some politician in, from within the, the, the ruling coalition at that point of time. Uh, so 87. So that's another experience, huge experience. And then the people come together, especially family members come together and they start to gain a lot of support. 89 uh, is when the, those who detained uh, during 87 came out and then they started Swaram. Uh, so at that point of time in 89, the main focus was to get people understand why ISD need to go. So that was the, the, the starting point. Uh, a consolidated starting point. And then throughout uh, the campaign went grow and um, the, the, the government did not stop using ISA. They still continue to use uh, ISA. But, and then it slowly gained a lot of momentum, gained a lot of uh, support from the general public who understand uh, uh, the misuse of ISA and why ISA need to be abolished. And then the people protested. So the people who initially supported the use of security law came out to the street of Kuala Lumpur, risked their, uh, uh, risked themselves, and then fight against for the cause. So which means the people now understand uh, security law is one thing, using the name of security law and misuse against political uh, mileage uh, for their political advantages is another thing people understand. And they uh, was it out and then they fought together and ISA was abolished. So similarly, uh, under SOSMA, why it is a bit difficult because as I said, uh, and as the pro uh, government promised, it won't be used against political differences. So they kind of like learn from the past uh, and then use a different tactic this time 
leave alone the political opponent. They start to use sedition on them. Uh, and then they focus on um, SOSMA. But another point at that point of time, uh, 22, there was a, a 2012, there was a IS threat all over the world. Uh, the spread of uh, Islamic uh, state uh, uh, in, in many countries and it slowly spread. So they use, uh, they said uh, SOSMA was justified because they're going to only target the terrorist suspect uh, because of the uh, then the environment. But then in 2012, it was introduced, it was used. And in 2015, uh, the IS threat went down. It's no more a big threat at that point of time. So there is no more, uh, not many errors in the name of terrorist suspect. So what the government did is bring uh, uh, SOSMA to the parliament and amend it and then start to use for other laws. So that's the way they played uh, SOSMA. Initially, made people to be, um, made uh, people to believe that this law is solely targeted on terrorism and give some sense of security. But again, after that, there's no more real threat in, in the name of terrorism, but then they start to use against uh, organized crime, gangsterism, and and, and now uh, the police saying that it's going to expand the usage. But you already know it's been misused. So now we go into those suspected as a terrorist and arrested, if you go and uh, look into their background and all that, uh, many of them are innocent. Many of them are not really a terrorist or not really. Some of them, yes, probably they um, are soft supporters or they probably involved in some areas. But because they use SOSMA, they don't target one individual or two individuals and arrest them. Rather, they do like, uh, you know, you use the net. To, to, to fish, right? Not using the punching right. and then get the whole group. Right. And then with the whole group, you know there are many of them are innocent. Some of them are just part of the WhatsApp group, share things. Some of them are young. Uh, and, 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 and so these are the things that we, uh, we came about, the misuse, uh, even if you use particularly on terrorist suspects. So that's why SOSMA is a no-go. Uh, and then on top of that, we know some experience of SOSMA is being misused against Maria Chin, uh, former Bersay leader, was used against lawyer uh, Matthias Chang and also politician Kairudin, where when they file uh, at the court against the detention under SOSMA, the court declared that it was misused. Okay. And uh, Maria was paid compensation because of usage of SOSMA. So this is clearly a misuse. Uh, and and something, some other thing I, I wanted to share here is one, torture is rampant under SOSMA. 28 days, God knows what is happening inside. We have recorded same kind of a torture practice, physical, mental, sexual abuses uh, during the interrogation. Uh, same like ISA time. As I said, minors and young offenders was also being used. Uh, under this uh, SOSMA. Uh, and also, big question raised on the investigation nature of, of nature of investigation under SOSMA. Because you target so many and then arrest them and then interrogate and uh, torture them and some of them were forced to confess and all that. But what happened to the art of investigation? You target and you properly investigate and provide evidence to the court and then uh, even if the court believe, uh, can see the evidences, uh, probably the court will grant you uh, additional remand days and then you can charge them. 
So why you wanted to use SOSMA with a lot of questions and also proven misuse uh, of SOSMA. So that's that's what we are against. Isa, um, Seven mentions um, mental health earlier. In what ways does SOSMA affect the mental and emotional well-being of not just detainees, but also their families? What did your research find out? On the mental and emotional well-being, uh, first and foremost, SOSMA actually uh, affecting their mental health because of, because of the uncertainty surrounding of the detention, the potential length of the imprisonment and also like the uncertainty of the legal proceeding that actually makes that anxiety of the detainees. Uh, besides, I think it's also uh, the separation from the family, the stigma associated with the detention also led to the depression. And uh, in the research also, some of the respondents shared that until today, even they had been released from the prison, they still experienced fear. And one of the fear that they felt the most is that the fear of the possible persecution because they felt that they are still not free because they are still have cases in their name, right? And the trauma still remains as the result of their detention. Right. Could you also talk to me about um, you know, the impact SOSMA has, because you touched on it a little bit on the first half of the show, but I'd like you to perhaps provide a bit more examples. Um, the impact SOSMA has on employment and livelihoods of detainees, how does it affect their ability to support their family? Because um, like you mentioned, many of these detainees are the breadwinners of their families. Prior to the detention, yeah, uh, many of the detainees that we interviewed actually uh, had various forms of employment which include government sector, private sector, staff employment and farming. So when they had been detained under SOSMA, the loss of employment and income actually directly impacts the detainees' ability to financially support their families, which many of their families actually rely on the detainees' income for basic needs, education and also other expenses. So now uh, what happened, there is like a reverse role of provider. So the, the, the detainees who had contributed to the family before now depend on their family for financial support. So many of their families, sometimes the wife, sometimes the mother, they had to force to get to work because they, they are now the provider, the, the sole provider for the families. What sort of financial burdens um, are faced by detainees and their families due to their detention under SOSMA? Because earlier you mentioned that some families even have um, 10 children. What sort of financial burdens are faced um, once um, this member of the family, um, it could be the mother, it could be the father, um, once they get dragged by SOSMA and put into jail for an you know, unknown period of time? I think uh, one of it is the uh, for the basic needs, lah. Because one of the family that, that one of the wife of the detainees shared with me that uh, because of the detention and because she wants to visit the husband weekly. So what happened to her is that during the recess time, in her work time, she had to uh, starve a little bit so that she can save wisely for that week only. Some people might listen to whatever Isa just um, mentioned, right? The kind of financial burdens placed on the families, the kind of emotional um, burdens placed on the family, the kind of 
mental health and trauma the families and the detainees go through. Some people will just say, well, they committed, you know, the crimes. Um, you know, you, you know, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. Um, that's the kind of thing that the mindset that many people have. How would you respond to this, Seven? Okay, first of all, um, although uh, SOSMA is not a detention without trial, uh, but we're still uh, calling it a detention without trial uh, for the nature of the SOSMA itself, uh, which means until the court process exhausted and uh, the judge find them guilty, until then they are not uh, criminal, they are not terrorists. You know, they are uh, they are still suspect, but because they use SOSMA and there is no uh, bail. It kind of you already punish them and not only them the the family members and 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 because of this perception uh, the family find it difficult to survive so they are malaysians so what you are doing to a, 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 a fellow malaysians even without their father or husband uh, being uh, guilty decided by the court you already punish them with this perception one Number two is, and then because of the no bail nature, they have to go through hardship, like Isa explained, economically, and also the trauma that family face, uh, the kids uh, been uh, 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 um, called uh, as a criminal's son or criminal's daughter and all that. So this put them uh, in a more difficult situation and, uh, and the whole system is not helping them. So what happens if the court find them, finds them uh, not guilty and release them? So the, 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 the time the, they have lost uh, being just a suspect, how to justify that? So that's, that's one uh, important uh, thing that I think the general public need to know. Uh, and so it's not only punishing them, uh, not only punishing uh, the suspect, but you're also punishing the whole family. But without the court decide you're guilty or not. So that's definitely an, a, a clear line for people to, to, to look into, look beyond SOSMA and see why we are opposing uh, SOSMA. And on top of that, because of the no bail nature, if there is a bail, uh, while the court process is ongoing, the suspect they still can go to work, earn some money, uh, some money for the family, and then he's still responsible for the for the for the family. Here you left the family all alone, and that's why you're pushing further. Uh, some of them are B forty, and you are pushing further and making them uh, more poorer. And the other big question is under the SOSMA, those who are targeted, and none of them are leader of organized crime or leader of a terrorist group. Most of the cases that we receive uh, is just like uh, uh, people who who part of the WhatsApp group. Some of them don't even know. Uh, like one of the uh, uh, ex-detainee who uh, shared his thought, uh, he don't even know uh, why he was arrested. Why he was arrested and uh, and later on, when the police forced him to confess, uh, tortured him, he decided, okay, and, and there was a bargain. 
right? If you confess, probably two, three years or four years. Otherwise, it's going to go on and on. And on top of it, he also surprised and he also don't know uh, torture is against the law. Torture in custody is against the law uh, because he's a big size uh, uh, young uh, guy. And uh, he said he became the punching bag of the policeman during those arrests. And he didn't even know uh, it's against the law. Then some of the inmates told him that under the law, they cannot torture us, but that's becoming the process. So even the suspect, they went through a lot of things. And then end of the day, if in some of the cases, they've been declared innocent, and what is the answer from the government for all this and and and, and, and the family? Absolutely. So what are Swaram's demands? Okay, for us, we will continue to demand to abolishment of any detention without trial laws. Uh, as I said earlier, we are not against any security law. There are many countries uh, have security law without detention, without trial uh, notions. There are many countries uh, have advanced in their security law uh, with um, uh, good resources put forward by the government in terms of investigation facilities and, and, and modernization of their uh, investigation, not using detention without trial uh, laws uh, under the name of security. So when we wanted to target uh, in uh, or uplift our standard uh, and then using the developed nation as our benchmark, then we should aim that way. So that's our demand. Abolish all the detention without trial laws uh, in this context, for now, we, because of the family members' pressure, uh, we are pushing uh, for amendment to take out the no bail part under this SOSMA, uh, as what the, some of the discussion with the uh, deputy law minister happened. Uh, on top of that, the government need to see the whole thing as a holistic way, uh, rather than like uh, arrest and punish them. Uh, but if you if you're using SOSMA, for example, and you're claiming that 16, 17 years old boy or 18 years old boy as a hardcore criminal because SOSMA is meant to use against hardcore criminal, then there is a huge problem uh, with our society. But I believe that's not the case because of the SOSMA they just used against randomly anyone they think suspects. So how can the public participate, Seven, to push for the abolition of SOSMA? Because when, like you mentioned earlier, you, talk, you talked about the history of ISA and how, you know, what eventually led to the abolition of the ISA. Um, it was multiple things, a lot of factors, but it involved a lot of organizing. It involved a lot of mobilizing. It involved protests. And it involved the government seeing that as an popular issue in which um, they can try to boost their popularity by engaging with it, right? Um, you know, you, you talked about how the Najib's government was losing popularity and, you know, and in a way or in an attempt to boost their popularity, they abolished um, the ISA after um, protests and, and organizing by civil society. What about SOSMA? Because it doesn't seem like you said that, you know, SOSMA is always used against political opponents um, besides the likes of Maria Chin that was um, that had one-off sort of incident so far, perhaps a couple of others. Um, how do you get the public... Uh, well, what can the public do to 
participate and push for the abolition of SOSMA? Okay, uh, for for uh, ISA, as I mentioned earlier, because of the use against political uh, dissenters, the support was huge, especially the political support, especially from the opposition at that time. So it's huge. And then through the opposition, we managed to deliver the message, the narrative, the, 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 the campaign, why ISA need to go. It was, although it's a huge struggle, but it was much easier compared to now because it doesn't have the political uh, advantage, the political weightage. Uh, one of the time, one uh, at one point after Maria's arrest, it was huge. Right, the campaign was huge, and then we see many opposition came together to voice out against uh, uh, Sosma, and those politicians are now with the government now. Okay, so so uh, although we don't want uh, Sosma to be used of anyone, but if you see the if the government used Sosma against politicians, then the campaign will take a, a, a bigger U-turn. So that's the, the problem. But again, it's also exposed uh, the hypocrisy of uh, many politicians now who at one point of time were against SOSMA. But now they, when they are in with the government, they kind of like uh, try to justify and all that. Uh, and uh, I think so. so what the general public uh, need to know is uh, don't forget the history. Don't forget what happened during ISA. SOSMA is similarly used against uh, some of the innocent people. There is no proper uh, investigation in some cases. They use uh, against young offenders. It's meant to be uh, supposed to use against uh, hardcore criminal. And then there's a torture is also being practiced and all that. So similar to ISA, uh, it can come to you anytime. This law can come to you anytime. So um, listen to those who detain uh, during our town hall, the, a lot of sharing we've been shared in uh, social media and come forward, learn about SOSMA more and then together I think we can get rid of any uh, detention without trial laws in, in, in Malaysia. As Malaysia wanted to aim to become a uh, developed nation, uh, human rights is a very important uh, pillar uh, and uh, detention without trial laws is need to go and we can have our own better security laws, not detention without trial laws. And before we wrap this conversation up, Isa, I would also like to get a final word from you. Um, you did this really um, important piece of research um, on the socioeconomic impact of detention under SOSMA. Um, what final message would you have for listeners? All right. I want to echo from what Stephen said just now uh, because actually introduced detain under SOSMA, whether they are convicted or not convicted, their families and then themselves are trapped in this cycle of struggle, this cycle of hardship. So for me, this raises a fundamental question, which is this just? Because from what I have witnessed and heard from the struggles and pain of the SOSMA families, the answer appears to be no. So what we need to start is we need to start to naming the pain uh, of the detainees, of the families. We need to talk about it, about the pain, and also, most importantly, documenting it. So, for me, this is the first step in order to move forward. 
On that note, Iza7, thank you so much for joining me today. That was Siti Nuriza Momatazali, independent researcher who wrote the paper on the socio-economic impact of detention under SOSMA, as well as Sevendore Sami, executive director of Swaram. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.